Hey everyone, welcome to episode 25 of Meet the Entrepreneur. This is Artin Zahiri. I'm joined with my co-hosts, Ramir Kashwani and Elham Chattery. Got a super special podcast today for you all. We're sitting down with Gavin Dove. He's the co-founder and CEO of Fluent. Fluent is a really cool language startup. It's actually a Chrome browser extension that helps you practice new languages while you browse the web. So, you know, no more spending time studying flashcards. Instead, you get to learn new words while you're already browsing your favorite websites that you do every day. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. How about for our audience, um, it would be great if you could talk about your background a little bit, um, obviously introduce what Fluent is and maybe, you know, what led you to create it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tons and tons of context to put into a single uh, single paragraph, but I'll give you the high level. Um, so Fluent's a language learning uh, company, and what we're doing is similar to what Duolingo did for language learning uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when they started. Um, when you're teaching someone a language, uh, it's a really, really gargantuan task because it takes basically years of dedicated practice to achieve any sort of fluency. And whatever platform you're building, whatever education uh, tool you have, you're essentially competing against the likes of like Netflix, YouTube, hang out with your friends for your users, your learners' attention every single day. And fundamentally, for most people, it's a lot less fun than Netflix or YouTube hanging out with your friends. So you're automatically in this position, this losing battle against all of these other things that are incredible at stealing people's attention. So what we're actually doing with Fluent, just like Duolingo revolutionized things by putting the language learning in your phone, which you already have in your pocket, we're taking that sort of Duolingo gamified language learning model and putting it in the places that you already spend time. So we're a browser extension. Whenever you're browsing the web, we actually turn the text content of the Bloomberg article, the Reddit thread, the Twitter post that you're reading, and like put the interactive gamified language testing and quizzing right there to teach you the language with the text content of what you're already reading every day. Um, in terms of our background and like how we actually came up with this idea, um, like you guys as well, actually, we're all first and second generation immigrants. Um, so we ourselves, or we've seen our parents struggle to fit in in a new land and language being the key to doing that. So like we've, as founders, we've all had this undertone, undercurrent of language just being super important, super impactful. And one of those like, you can't live without it level problems that if you can solve it for the billions of people learning second languages for various reasons, you have an enormously impactful company. Awesome, appreciate that background. And Gavin, I was curious for you yourself, um, when I was when we were looking into you, saw your, your kind of uh, you know, prior work um, in education is very like engineer focused. Um, yeah. yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about kind of your, um, you know, your upbringing in engineering. And then what exactly was it about languages that got you interested um, and decided you want to pursue fluent? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, you kind of nailed it right on the head. Um, my father's an engineer. I've always been interested in problem solving the idea of building things. Um, and when I went to university in Montreal, I took a mechanical engineering degree, uh, to be upfront with you, I was a pretty terrible student class wasn't super fun. It was very theoretical. I wasn't actually building anything physically really cool. Um, but one of the best decisions I ever made was joining my school's robotics team where that was my path into tech, where although it wasn't tech directly, it was building and solving 
like building solutions to really freaking hard problems with a small team of really smart people. Um, and like, I absolutely fell in love with it. That was where I put most of my energy while I was in school. Um, we won a couple of robotics competitions. I got to meet an Apollo astronaut, the whole nine yards. I was fully drawn in. And um, sort of shortly after I was on the team, I started another, my very first startup with another friend of mine who was also in mechanical engineering. And those two experiences were so incredibly similar that I realized I basically wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Um, with that startup, we were basically selling to government transit agencies. The RFP and sales cycle was multiple years long. So um, I had to like start making money personally. So I stepped back from that, did a little bit of aerospace engineering. And while I was in Montreal with one of my best friends, uh, who I was living with at the time, Montreal is a French speaking city, they're francophone. Um, so we were basically once again, poor my friend was facing the problem of learning a language in a new city. And it was from those struggles with like, trying to use Duolingo, trying to speak to the locals, everything like that, that we were thinking about the problem as people who love solving problems, coming up with cool solutions. And Fluent was basically born out of that. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's really awesome that it kind of like fits in very nicely, right? Like you guys were already solving a problem and you guys were entrepreneurial. And then it's like, oh, wait, like this language thing is an issue. Like, let's see if we can figure this one out. Um, yeah, this just sounds like you like had a lot of interesting experiences with your robotics team overall, like with um, your first startup and with um, Fluent, like what are some of like the biggest challenges you guys are facing and some of like the highlights or like the achievements that you guys have kind of um, encountered as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of biggest challenges, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think about this a fair amount. And I think the main thing for us is we're sort of like an entirely new medium. We're trying to teach people a language and build the lessons into a contextual experience. So while you're reading an article, uh, you see a word highlighted, you hover over it, and there's like a language lesson. We test your knowledge on that French word you see. Um, what happens there compared to something like an app or Duolingo where the language lesson or the game is like this intense, like five, 10 minute round of like, you're, you're getting in a flow, you're trying to like solve the problems, each problem is sequentially harder. It's a double-edged sword where with something like a Duolingo, you have to get them to open their phone and do the thing every single day. With us, we're always in front of you. So there's so many chances to engage with it and just take a quick little test, move your mouse two inches. But we don't have that intensity that you get with like a five or 10 minute lesson with Duolingo. So we're solving this problem of like, we have an entirely new medium and a new way of teaching people language. So we almost have to build the gamification, the language lessons, how we teach from scratch. And it's an incredibly interesting problem, but like there's no roadmap for it. We have to figure it out ourselves as we go. Yeah, that's like definitely like one of the best places to be, right? Is like in a space where you don't necessarily know what the right answer is and nobody knows. So it's kind of like up to you to figure out what the best thing is. Um, yeah. Like, what do you think is like some of the best achievements for uh, Fluent like so far? Yeah, definitely. Um, For us, I think it's the fact that we made something that people stick around with. Like we haven't perfectly hit product market fit yet, but we made something that 40% of people using our platform are sticking around with on day 30. And to give you context, um, for example, like Duolingo or Babel, their day one retention is 40%. So we figured out like the formula is right. The form factor is there, 
Um, and I'm super proud of us doing that, but we still need to figure out like, how do we make this experience like incredibly engaging, incredibly effective? How do we get folks to actually like pay for it and pay regularly, all of that sort of stuff. I'm kind of curious about your target audience. So obviously like, you know, it can range from students to adults. Um, it's obviously like, you know, you can learn a language at whatever age, but I guess the gamification aspect um, for certain target audiences can, you know, stick um, way better than, you know, compared to another target audience. So is there like maybe in the future some sort of um, adjustments or customization that you're going to make to your product that's tailored to a specific target audience? Um, yeah, that's, oh, sorry, go ahead. I interrupted. Yeah, no, that was, that was the ultimate question. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. So um, that's a great question. Having a really tight niche we found is key to success. Um, basically what it comes down to there for us is rather than saying like, oh, we're all like 18 to 35 year olds or we're students or we're professionals. Um, it's a lot more focused on where someone is in their language learning journey. So the vast majority of language learners want to speak the language. They want to talk to their grandma. They want to like feel at home when they just moved to France. They want a new job. That is their ultimate goal. But having the confidence to speak a language, like actually engage someone, not look like an idiot, um, speak like freely rather than like self-doubting yourself in the middle of the conversation, that is an enormous blocker to actually speaking the language. People have a ton of anxiety around that. It can sometimes hold people back for years, even if they have the tools. So where we fit is people who already have the basics of the language down, whether that's through language classes, Duolingo, they have the familiarity with the alphabet, the grammar structures, everything like that. Their next step before they can confidently speak to other people is expanding their vocabulary. Um, in language, uh, in any language, actually, it's interesting. It follows the Pareto principle where the first thousand most common words in the language comprise 70% of like the words by volume that you'll encounter in a conversation or a textbook. 2000, first 2000 words is 80%, first 3000 words is 90%. That is a crazy amount of words to actually recognize and understand instinctually the moment you run into them. So what we're doing is we're saying, all right, you finished the basics part of the grammar of the language. We're going to teach you those 3000 words that get you that 90% understanding of the language. So you have the confidence to go start having a conversation with your grandma from someone on the street, sent writing the language in a business email. Um, we found that there's basically no good sort of like language tool that does that really effectively. Duolingo is good for introductions, um, like, italki, the conversation exchange is good for once you already have the confidence, but there's nothing in the middle that gives people that confidence to start having conversations and tells them like, you have the knowledge to go out and do this on your own. Kevin, I, yeah. have, to ask, I have to ask, uh, how many languages do you know and do you use Fluent to help sharpen your skills? Yeah, absolutely. So I know two and a half. Uh, I know English and then I can struggle through Cantonese. My mom's side of the family is from Hong Kong. And then I'm currently using Fluent to achieve full fluency in French. That's awesome. Um, I guess, have you heard, you know, so far you have around uh, 16,000 active users, is that correct? Correct, yeah. That's awesome, that's that's a great achievement. Um, what was it like going from, you know, obviously you started at, you know, zero or close to zero to getting your first, you know, 100 users to where you're at now. What's the growth trajectory been like and what have you done to capture users? Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
We started out just hustling in online language learning communities. They were great, like sort of launch pad for us because with community, you can kind of embed yourself, like figure out what people are actually anxious about, what they need and build with them. And then on top of that, you have that, like, once you build something genuinely useful for the community, it will spread like wildfire in the community. So when we started out, we partnered with like Discord language learning communities, Reddit language learning communities and spread through there. And because we are a new form factor, we solve a lot of the frustrations language learners have. Um, and you can tell just by looking at the product for a few seconds, um, the word of mouth we've experienced in these communities has been like exceptionally good. Um, what we're trying to do now though is 16,000 users is great and all, but we want to get to our million, first million users, first 10 million users. And the growth channels that we'll use for that are quite a bit different from just hustling in language learning communities. Um, so what we're focused on now is actually um, sort of TikTok. Um, we actually work closely with a TikTok influencer uh, who's part of the team, and she's created sort of helpful language learning content that has literally reached millions of views from millions of people. Um, so we have this channel where it's like TikTok very much encourages virality. Um, so because we have this organic growth channel, we can kind of like lean into that, build a proper funnel, optimize it, create content that's related to language learning, doing product demos, everything like that. Yeah, I think like TikTok is probably like a really, really great channel for you guys to just you know, not only get more um, users, but also allow people to see the, the benefits of your platform, right? So um, great channel there. Um, I guess in terms of like operating in Montreal itself, um, how is that like for you? And, you know, um, like, have you been to other spaces uh, in terms of like, whether it's crowdfunding for your company or just like starting ventures? Like, can you compare Montreal to like other cities around the world when it comes to operating a startup? Yeah, definitely. Um, so like the venture capital scene in Canada is definitely a little bit less developed than the United States. We found it to be fairly conservative um, more often than not, like uh, compared to American investors, they'll want you to have like stronger revenue. Uh, they'll be less willing to take a big bet on a crazy idea. Um, so most of our investors are actually American or international even. Um, what is cool though, is we've had a couple of really big Canadian companies like Shopify, uh, who are success stories where a lot of the former employees there after their stock options vest, they go and invest in a bunch of local startups. So I would say like, I think the startup scene in Canada is a little bit less developed, but because we're seeing these really big companies have amazing exits, um, we're starting to see the startup scene kind of build from the ground up where you first have the angels, they'll go fund the next generation of companies venture capitalists will have a little bit more of a risk appetite because they themselves, the local Canadian ones have actually like made that crazy investment that had 3000 X. So they're willing to take that riskier bet. Yeah. Just speaking on that, like we noticed that like you were one of the founders of like next Canada. Like, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So that was actually for my previous startup, uh, blaze transit, which was a sort of, we basically offered like, we partnered with transit agencies to offer almost like Uber-like services for an entire bus. So instead of having to stop at like three different transfer sites, we pair like 10 people together on the same bus. They're largely heading in the same direction. Um, so while we're in Next Canada, um, my co-founder was the one who got accepted in the program. I tag a lot. 
Um, we got to meet a ton of like sort of the movers and shakers in the Canadian startup scene, which was really cool. Um, but more than that, that was my first introduction to like hanging out with other founders, other people building startups, getting yourself in that culture and that mindset. Um, so from that perspective, it was incredible. Like it helped me realize I want to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life. Very cool. And Gavin, you mentioned, you know, most given the scene, most of your investors are either U.S.-based or international. Um, one of the ones international, uh, 27 Ventures. Um, obviously, yep. we, had a, we had a conversation with uh, the solo GP and Botcher, and he actually shouted you guys out. Um, what's it like working uh, with, with Ann and, and 27V? What kind of resources have they provided to you that's been, uh, you know, particularly helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, out of all the investors on our cap table, Adson has gone like above and beyond uh, anyone else like incredibly supportive made more intros than I can count um, a lot of like investors kind of like to advertise themselves as founder friendly but like the best they'll do is answer your investor update with an encouraging thing um, with that in like I talk to him every other week um, he's incredibly helpful he's made intros um, he's like even when things are bad he's deeply supportive on a personal level as well which is something very rare I think um, so it's been incredible to have his support. Um, we have a lot of confidence knowing that like um, he's behind us. And I think he's just a rare solo GP in terms of how much he's going to bat for his founders. That's awesome. That's great to hear. We, we had a great uh, conversation with him. I'm glad to hear uh, you know, how helpful he's been. Definitely, definitely is what, what it sounded like from, from our conversation. Um, very, very founder friendly. Gavin, what kind of, speaking of founders, you know, what kind of advice would you give to um, a founder uh, right now, you know, right now, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, talks about global recessions. Um, VC investments have slowed down this year compared to you know, the year before. What what advice would you give to a founder today? Yeah, definitely. Um, first thing I would say is like, yeah, things aren't looking great. So definitely raise money if you can. Um, but the other thing I would say is like raising money, everyone, a lot of founders just kind of think they raise a couple of million dollars and they're good. But really, that's just like, that's the thing that gets you to the place that's meaningful. And a lot of people kind of get lost in the noise there. Um, something I think about a lot is like um, a lot of the generational companies sort of get built in recessions where you'll have like a huge funding bubble, almost tons and tons of money flowing around freely. And the companies that raise off of hype, but don't actually have people who are dedicated to building the crazy, like innovative stuff um, will just collapse. And really what that means for you as a company, if you're actually focused on the right things, it's more money for you. You'll stand out from the pack. All the hype companies will be dying out and investors with a lot of dry powder will be looking for an actual company that focuses on the fundamentals. So just going into this recession, if you're looking at the right things, if you're focused on building a generational company, focused on the right metrics, not necessarily focused on splashy marketing or anything like that, then you'll be in a really good place. I'm not sure if we touched on this question, but exactly how many languages are on your platform? Uh, right now we support three, English, uh, sorry, okay. English French, Spanish, and Italian. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll add a few more, actually. Nice, nice. Okay. And, like, I guess what's the, um, is the ultimate goal to essentially have as many languages on there as possible? Yeah, yeah. Um, we basically want to support every major language someone's trying to learn. Um, what's really cool is like, 
there's about 1.8 billion people learning a second language. So there's an enormous ocean of language learners for us to support. Um, it's just at the start, while we're a small team, we need to have a very, very narrow focus so we can perfect the platform, not worry about the overhead of managing the tech for 30 different languages. Um, and then once we figure out the formula, it then becomes a game of like uh, expanding to every possible language as quickly as we can. That makes sense. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have uh, currently supporting the most commonly spoken language in the world, uh, Mandarin Chinese, right? Is that on the roadmap for you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, basically, what we're kind of finding is like in our narrow focus, a lot of our customers were willing to pay at least are based in sort of North America, the GA countries. The way we're actually thinking about our revenue model is similar to say how Grammarly did it, where we're going to start with a paid offering at first, just because we can build a sustainable company off of that. Um, but once you're actually able to build the trust, build the resources, build the product teams, everything like that, that's when you kind of expand out to a freemium offering. Uh, and then you can actually grab, say, the 2 billion people who are learning a language with the formula you've developed that works really well. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a really, um, I, I, I like that approach better, right? It's it's like almost like more sustainable in terms of like actually building a business and trying to cultivate a team, right? And, and getting people to focus in on a problem. Um I'm, I'm Not only that, it's incredibly focusing product-wise, where if yeah. you're building a product for someone paying for it, they're going to give you way better feedback than someone who's not. Yeah, that's that's actually entirely true. Um, just like moving a little bit away from from this, I'm curious to know, like, as a founder, um, you know, like a lot of founders we talk to, like they're they're like they feel as though like they're running around with their hair on fire. Sometimes they're like they're constantly fighting against like other companies, right? Like you said, for market share, like grabbing land, like what are some things that you do um, to kind of like keep your head on straight or to kind of like make sure that you're level-headed and, you know, making good decisions and, and, you know, like kind of like encouraging that in your team as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, having co-founders who I'm basically on the same wavelength as is super important. Um, we're super fortunate, not just like in a business sense, that like as co-founders, the four of us, we've known each other for between like uh, five to 10 years. Um, so like we can basically read each other's minds at that point. And in terms of like when everything's on fire, not like being incredibly anxious, like worrying about whether your teammate or co-founder is on board with this crazy direction we're going, that by itself removes a ton of the anxiety and the stress there. Um, another thing that's important that I don't see talked about often enough is like, honestly, like solitude, like um, when you're around other people, even co-founders or your team, it's so easy to like kind of get lost in the day-to-day, -day, the small activities, the small things that are on fire. And especially with like sort of Zoom and Slack and social media, everything like that, stealing your attention and taking away your ability to think original thoughts. Um, like people are more and more at risk of not understanding how they actually think about things how they're processing their anxieties, how they're coming up with their plan. Um, so just carving out time for yourself there is incredibly important. And I see fewer and fewer people doing that well. Any last parting words before we close the podcast? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you guys. Alam, Ramir, Arti, this was awesome. I appreciate the thoughtful questions. Um, that means a lot. I've been on podcasts where people seem to half-ass it. So um, this is really good. 
And yeah, the other thing I would say is uh, if you're trying to learn a language, just go on fluent.co, check us out. I think you'll really, really like how we're approaching this. We'll solve a lot of your problems around not finding time to practice, um, maintaining your habit, everything like that. And uh, apart from that, if you're listening to this as an entrepreneur, um, it's a crazy magical journey. Um, and even if you're like going through a difficult time right now, you're probably in the right place because it's one of the most rewarding things you can ever do. Thank you for tuning in to Meet the Entrepreneur. Be sure to follow Startup Society to stay on top of the most exciting startups in the country striving to keep the American dream alive. Until next time, take care.